The NFL draft has come and gone, and despite what at least one person wanted you to believe, Kyler Murray was always going to be the number one pick. Now, I've got a few national sports talk radio hosts and pundits that I always pay attention to, most notably Colin Cowherd. Now, Cowherd, he never said straight up that he didn't think Kyler was going to go number one. In fact, I think he did say that he thought Kyler would go number one. But Cowherd just kept saying that he wouldn't do that and kept pushing the topic on his show of whether or not it was smart for the Cardinals to draft Murray, even though they had Josh Rosen already in-house. Fortunately, reasonable people like Joel Klatt came on his show last week before the draft and confidently stated that Arizona was taking Murray. Klatt wasn't about to buy into the nonsense that Arizona was going to pass on the most recent Heisman Trophy winner. The one person who did report the Cardinals were going to skip out on Murray was CBS Sports' Pete Prisco. Prisco reported before the draft that Arizona's ownership pushed for Murray with the goal of exciting the fan base. Apparently, the Cardinals were having a hard time selling tickets. And even after floating the news that they wanted to take Kyler Murray, Prisco reported the Cardinals fan base was, quote, lukewarm to the idea. Therefore, Arizona was pulling back from Kyler Murray. Prisco's report included this line, quote, they're going to go in a different direction. They're not going to draft Kyler Murray, end quote. Well, that report was wrong. Prisco's source fed him bad information, and as somebody who's in the journalism field myself, it's just a bummer when that happens. I realize Prisco is a senior NFL writer for CBS, so he's got some credibility built up, but he was the only person reporting Arizona would pass on Murray, and he was wrong. It's not good. Here's the deal. Don't try to outthink the room unless you know for a fact that you're smarter than everybody else or you've got accurate info that nobody else has access to. I'm sure Prisco thought his source was solid, so absent any other information, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. But as somebody who's watched a bunch of football in their life, Kyler Murray was just obviously the best quarterback in this draft, and more importantly, he's a better quarterback prospect than Josh Rosen. You've got to get that position correct, and even though I do still think Rosen's a good player and could end up being a solid NFL player, Murray's ceiling is just much higher given his skill set and talent. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. With the first pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the Arizona Cardinals select Kyler Murray, quarterback, Oklahoma. And so it is. The assumed is really happening. For the second year in a row, an OU quarterback was taken with the first pick of the NFL draft. Kyler Murray joined Baker Mayfield in the elite Heisman fraternity back in December. And now Kyler once again joins Baker in rarefied air. It's only the second time in history that players from the same school were drafted first overall in back-to-back years. And it's the first time ever that the same school has had a quarterback drafted number one in consecutive years. Hey, everyone. Welcome into West of Everest. Once again, I am Lee Benson. We'll bring in Grant here in a moment. The NFL draft has come and gone, and we've got thoughts on that. On the surface, this next thing I'm going to say might sound a bit ridiculous, but of the eight Sooners who were drafted, I really think that more than half of these guys have a great chance to be starting by the fall or at the very least have a strong role on their team. And I'm looking at you, Rodney Anderson. We'll see if Grant agrees with all of that. There's multiple 2020 mock drafts already out, and CeeDee Lamb's a pretty popular guy. We'll talk a little bit about the current OU players who will be highly sought after by the NFL at this time next year. Plus, we're bringing it back for the first time in 2019, the Hot Take of the Week segment. 
Clay Travis had a take on new Giants quarterback Daniel Jones earlier this week. We'll play what Clay said, and then Grant and I will more than likely laugh at the ignorance of said take later on in the show. So that's a rough roadmap of where we're going today. Time to welcome Grant into the show. Grant, uh, happy May Day. You kind of confused me there for a second because we're actually recording this show the day before May Day. So I almost I almost excoriated you right there for being an idiot. Mm-hmm. But I decided well, not to. Yeah. But anyway, hi. How are you? Well, thanks for yeah. I'm, I'm good. Uh, thanks for bearing with us. Week off last week. I had to move. I am now all moved into my new place, and here we go. So that's over with. Let's talk some football. And as we expected, as you and I did, and I think most people, except for well, the guy that uh, I talked about in the opening take, and maybe some other people who were just trying to make things more dramatic than they needed to be. Kyler Murray goes number one to the Cardinals last Thursday night. You know, this wasn't last year when Baker Mayfield surged ahead as the betting favorite literally the morning of the draft. Kyler Murray was easily the best quarterback prospect in this draft, and his skill set is unlike any other player at that position that we've seen. Grant, are you satisfied with how how all this played out for Kyler Murray? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be lying if I said last week, kind of in the days leading up when that Prisco article came out and people kind of started talking, I started to get a little antsy. I was like, eh. But then the more I thought about it, the more I the logic sort of took over. I realized that was probably Arizona trying to plant a, a story, and I think we'll get into that more often or uh, later on in the show, but um, definitely we're going to poke some poke fun at Pete Prisco, I would, I would assume. Well, let's, just, let's do that right now. I mean, I don't really have anything set for it, but I mean, that's... You know, what I said in the opening take, being in this field, and you know how this works too. It doesn't take an expert to understand what was going on. You think it was maybe somebody in the Cardinals who was trying to get something out there that that could maybe lead to, I'm guessing, a better deal for Josh Rosen. That's one that I can think of. That's got yeah, that had to have been the reasoning behind it. They were just trying to maximize the value uh, of Rosen. But my guess is I, I'm assuming the rest of the league probably solved right through that, I would guess. Um, I would yeah and it's just it's tough for a guy like Prisco I mean I don't don't know the guy at all I don't read any of his work it's just I mean he was the only person reporting that and uh, it's just uh, there had to have been I shouldn't say there had to him I'm I'm wondering if there were some alarm bells going off in his head even before he pushed send or or went ahead and made that report and just did it anyways I I don't know I mean it's sports so it's not the end of the world it's just that was never going to be the case. They were always going to take Kyler Murray. It just didn't make any sense not to. Yeah, like I'm not I'm not angry about it or anything like no, that. No, I know. I think it's just Neither a, am I. Yeah, that, I mean, that, it's, I don't want to pile on too much. I just want to point out that, yeah. that I guess that happened. No, I just I actually think it's kind of interesting just to see how this sort of stuff works, knowing that this stuff does happen in the lead up to the draft, and I just find that practice interesting. Um, and so, really, I, when we were texting back and forth earlier talking about the show, the the term that I used. Uh, to you was do you think Pete Prisco feels like a useful idiot here um, and then I kind of started thinking more on that and I'm and I'm, I, I'm glad that you bring up the point you know did he did he have any alarm bells going off in his head um, and if so I suppose in his mind you have to think does it really matter if this is true or not this is going to get a ton of clicks and likes and eyes on our page so who cares that was probably I'm assuming that's that was probably his editor's opinion Maybe, and also too, he can always come back. And I, you know, again, I have not read anything he's he's written since then. I, I don't know. Maybe he's explained this. I almost 
probably should look that up. I should have done that beforehand. See if he's maybe explained himself. Hey, I was led astray or not. But, you know, at this point, he probably doesn't want to burn a source. Because doesn't he have though, multiple sources? Wouldn't because like as I don't know, I, I can only assume that he he got this from someone inside the Cardinals organization. I I feel like the very first call I would make t- is, is to other sources around the league to say, hey, what are you hearing? Is this all BS or I mean, it doesn't matter. Like it was it 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 created a little bit of drama before the draft and you know it's it's you know it's not like it hurt anybody or anything like that but i don't know i i just think the process is interesting just i i would as in terms of journalism i would kind of be interested to hear the answer to that yeah me too and i'm looking up right now on google and i I mean, it's been a minute, but I, I don't see any sort of like obvious reports of like, oh, Prisco explains himself. So, so I mean, again, it's it's not that big of a deal. And I, I know it, it feels like we're kind of like bagging on this guy, which I mean, I guess in some way we kind of are. But it's May 1st and there's not a whole lot going on. So things like this are going to come out. I think it just hurts him because he was, he was the only guy reporting it. And everybody else was basically, yeah, this is done. I mean, Joe Klatt was on. Colin Coward's show saying, yeah, he's going there. I think Adam Schefter was reporting and McShay were reporting. Yeah, I mean. It's going to be Kyler Murray. I mean, this is. But like I a mean, done deal it basically. sucks. I mean, any any time that Pete Prisco breaks something in the future, I'm certainly going to think twice about it now, though. Yeah, I mean that's that's the risk in all of this. So that's probably enough time spent on that topic. The next part of this Kyler Murray discussion, I think, is kind of interesting. And at this point last year, I think that you and I, after Baker Mayfield was drafted, I think you and I were both pretty confident that Baker was going to be a really good player for the Browns. Do you feel the same way right now about Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals? Yes, almost more confident, actually. Oh, interesting. Uh, Kingsbury's offense is going is going to work very, very well in the NFL, um, and they, I mean, they already have the pieces in place to have a good offense. You know, I, I've having Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk already there is a lot of people aren't really talking about that, but that's a big deal. Having, having maybe the best pass catching running back in the league, at least he was two years ago is a big deal. Um, having Cliff Kingsbury, who I guarantee you is a better offensive mind than 80% of the league there is a big deal. Arizona's offense can be really good right away. I don't, I do not say that lightly. Okay. See, I'm more hesitant on this than you are and I'm glad that you're so gung-ho and positive about it and I'd like to bring up last year bitch just to kind of understand the context of this because a season ago my feelings on Mayfield was that one he's just a really good quarterback duh but also the reason why I was pretty confident in him doing well with the Browns was that I liked that he was going to a team that had Todd Haley as the offensive coordinator because he had a nice record of coordinating good offenses when Haley had a competent quarterback playing for him and, of course, the funny thing about that is that Mayfield didn't start to play his best football a season ago until Haley and then, obviously, Hugh Jackson were fired. And then Freddie Kitchens came in, proved himself to be a creative guy over the last half of the year and showed that he had great rapport with Baker Mayfield, and it, that eventually led to Kitchens getting the head job. So as far as Murray goes, it's almost like the same kind of argument that I had with Baker Mayfield Murray's got great ability as a quarterback, and he's gotten a fantastic offensive mind to coach him up in Cliff Kingsbury, and there's no doubt about that. I, everyone knows that. It is, granted, it is his first NFL job, but still, he's an offensive genius. But I think it'd be crazy, even though you, <laughs> I'm calling you crazy, essentially. I think it'd be crazy to have the same feelings about Murray that I had about Baker just because of the lack of starting experience of Kyler Murray. It just That worries me because... 
he hasn't played as many snaps at this point in his life compared to what Mayfield had played when he was a rookie. And I think the most important result of experience at the quarterback position is comfort and confidence. And we all know that Murray is full of confidence, but will he be comfortable reading defenses at the NFL level right away or even eight weeks into the season? You know, will he have the savviness to adjust his game to what the defense is doing to him like we efficiently saw Baker do I really a do. year ago? I really do. I I the the air raid in the NFL is an equalizer. Football is turning into a game where you need to you need to identify the one one on one matchup or the one favorable matchup you have uh, against the defense. This is a lot easier to do when everything is spread out, and then you attack that matchup. Kyler Murray is really good at doing that. He is he showed all last year that he is capable of doing that. That he understands the concepts of that. Uh, I mean, this is this is not going to be a huge transition for him. The speed of the game absolutely will, and the quality of competition will be. In terms of concepts, this is not a huge jump for him, if if one at all. This is one that he's going to be able to step in, and he's going to be familiar with a lot of the stuff they want to do, probably more so than guys who are on the roster right now. I think that's a huge asset to have. Yeah. Now, now don't don't get me wrong here. I like he's he's going to make some mistakes. He's going to turn the ball over a lot next year. Don't get me wrong, like, but he's going to make some plays. And he's going to make a lot of them. He just, you don't, th- this guy might already be the best athlete in the NFL, Lee. Like, I mean, this is, the guy is insane. I, I, I don't, I, I still think people are kind of, uh, they, I still think people don't understand yet just how, how dominant of a player he is. And, and, and it's, it's understandable because people, I mean, he only played for one year. But this is, We've never well, really seen dominance of that type la- like what we saw last year from him. Well, don't don't oversell it too much because at the NFL level, uh, I mean, his uh, I guess his ceiling at this point is is who Russell Wilson, right? I mean, that's the guy that he's getting compared to because they're relatively short in stature. Both play baseball. Both have good arms. Both incredibly athletic. If you're talking about a, if if you're talking about like a direct comparison of a guy who's in the league right now, then yes. yeah, I mean, sure, it'd be Russell Wilson. I mean, the um, league has seen athleticism Kyler Murray's, similar Ky- to Kyler Murray's because Russell Wilson. I mean, he's that. I mean, yeah, I, Kyler Murray, Murray might be has a higher a little more athletic. Russell Wilson. It. I just, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's nothing that, you can either say way that, that, that will that will change my mind on that. The difference is, and we haven't gotten to this yet, and this is a great transition because you mentioned the supporting cast, and I wanted to talk about that because you mentioned Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk and David Johnson, and then uh, you throw in, you know, they drafted Hakeem Butler, which we all know as Oklahoma supporters and fans that he is the greatest wide receiver that's ever played the game when he's playing against Oklahoma. And uh, this a guy named Andy Isabella, who apparently was one of the highest graded wide receivers by Pro Football Focus last year out of Massachusetts. Leading receiver in all of college football last year. Really good in the Senior Bowl as well, too. So I mean, that's, he is basically Julian Edelman if you've seen him play. Okay, yeah, I mean, I haven't. So I mean, the the supporting cast seems to be there, but what we haven't discussed yet, though, Grant, is the most important part of that supporting cast, which is what the offensive line. And that was an offensive line that is going to have incredible question marks coming into the year. And we mentioned Pro Football Focus a moment ago. According to Pro Football Focus, the Cardinals' pass blocking in 2018. Worst in the entire NFL. They were also running an offense that is about 20 years old. Uh, they were doing, they were going under center, doing like seven step drops and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I'm a big proponent uh, of the idea that protecting your quarterback in the NFL is more on play calling and your quarterback. 
The dudes in the NFL who are rushing the passer are freaking awesome. They're going to get to the quarterback. It's all about mm-hmm. it's all about how do you set your protection? And of course, that's probably something that Kyler Murray is going to have to improve on. He was very good at it at Oklahoma, but I'm sure a lot of the stuff he's going to see in the NFL's up front is probably a little more sophisticated. He will need to get better at that. But Cliff Kingsbury is going to design an offense that gets the ball out of his hands really quickly. Um, I just the offensive line, of course, it's it's not something that I'm going to bang the drum and say, hey, it's no problem whatsoever. But a bad offensive line can be mediated. I mean, fairly easily with the right play calls and a quarterback who knows what they're doing. I I, I, I saw this I for years in Indianapolis with Peyton Manning. And even Andrew Luck, too. And, and also, yeah, years, right? just, uh, well, no, I mean, Andrew Luck is actually, that was one of the knocks on him uh, was how was how bad he was at sensing pressure and getting rid of the ball and um, him giving up on plays just never really happened. Uh, he gets a new offensive coordinator who knows what they're doing. They get the ball out of his hands really quickly, and then they go from giving up the most sacks in the league and then giving up the least amount of sacks the next year. That's Yeah, that's what I meant. Uh, I mean, a, with, a vast with, majority, of, a majority of, of that had to do with play calling and get the ball out of his hands. Which Frank Wright gets all the credit for that because because almost all of it yes because, because he, was the, the, he was the main difference yeah of course because the Colts were were not particularly strong at the tackle position last year and they're still not they're very good on the interior of the offensive line the tackle position not so much so yeah and that's something that I also agree with too and and all throughout last season I kept banging the drum and not so much kind of down the line but early on in the year because I remember when Terod Taylor was starting for the Browns early on in the season. I know it was the first he started the first 3 games and then was benched or I guess he was injured at the halftime of the third game. I just remember hearing about how bad the Browns offensive line was and that Taylor wasn't getting any help and all this stuff and then Baker Mayfield comes in and obviously we know what he did against the Jets in his first appearance, led him back to a victory and I know that he wasn't great for that first or that the next you know whatever five games it was until Hugh Jackson and those guys got fired but you know Mayfield was much better than Terod Taylor and the offensive line was better and throughout the entire year the offensive line for the Browns ended up being considered one of the best offensive lines in all of the NFL pro football focus in that same ranking that I just mentioned where the Cardinals were last in pass blocking efficiency the Browns number four in the entire NFL in pass blocking efficiency and the teams ahead of them the Steelers, which, okay, that's very impressive because the Steelers throw the football a lot. But the other two teams ahead of the Browns were the Bears, who ran the ball quite a bit, and the Ravens, who ran the ball more than anybody in the entire NFL. So they had fewer opportunities to pass block. Therefore, it's not as impressive, whereas the Browns, Baker Mayville threw the football quite a bit. So the fact that the Browns were number four, how much of that was actually the Browns' offensive line was good the entire time, or how much of that is... Baker Mayfield is just a really good player, and the play calling was better, and he made everybody around him better. I don't know how to how to measure that. I just think I see that with my eyes, and I think that's a huge factor because if Terod Taylor played all 16 games, I think, for the Browns last year, there's 0% chance the Browns' offensive line is the fourth best pass-blocking efficient team in the NFL. 0% chance. So how much will Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury then help out the Cardinals' offensive line next year? Yeah, that's... That's so fascinating. That and, is so fascinating. And also, and this is just more of a side note because we were talking about the situations that they're going into. Um, the situation that Kyler Murray is stepping into right now, much better, like by an order of magnitude than what Baker Mayfield stepped into at this time last year. Cliff Kingsbury is, I, I hasn't even coached an NFL game, and I already know that he is uh, demonstrably better of, as a head coach than Hugh Jackson. <laughs> I, I know I, this. I know this for a fact 
already. Well, I mean, the critics don't come back at you and say, well, Kingsbury never was all that great at Texas Tech. So, I mean, how can you make that claim that he's already a better head coach than Hugh Jackson when he was at Texas Tech of NFL experience when he was at Texas Tech he was one of the two or three best offensive minds in the country that entire time this is the NFL in 2019 that is much more important and right now the offensive minds in college much more advanced than the offensive minds in the NFL well isn't the key though going to be not the key but uh, I mean Kingsbury's going to give a lot of a lot of uh responsibility obviously to Vance Joseph their defensive coordinator I mean it's up to him to make sure that defense for the Cardinals which actually wasn't all that bad at all last year if you're gonna go by yards per play Grant the Cardinals defense was a top 10 defense yeah they got some they got some good players on their defense they really do and Vance and Vance Joseph yeah that's and Vance Joseph obviously he's a, he was head coach of the Broncos now he's back to being a defensive coordinator He's got plenty of experience. I mean, that's going to be incredibly important, much like it was important with the Browns, with Greg Williams and that defense, not being an elite defense, but but not being a bad defense and being a defense that could take the football away and make it difficult at times on the opposing teams. That helped out Baker Mayfield from time to time in that offense. Yeah. And, you know, I'm putting, putting the cart a little bit before the horse here, but um, everything that you just mentioned, this is one of the reasons why I think Arizona is one of kind of the obvious surprise teams this upcoming year in the NFL. Like, I... And this is not something that is that would be unprecedented. I mean, teams have gone from the number one pick to the playoffs numerous times in NFL history. Um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying the Cardinals are going to do that. They're in a pretty difficult division um, right now. But <laughs> the Cardinals are going to be so much better this upcoming season than they were last year I, by a lot. They they will not be picking first next year. I generally agree with you. I'm still not going to take any super hard stances on the Cardinals until I get a little bit of a feel on Cliff Kingsbury as a head coach. Yeah, I and, still think you know that I, I I wish he would have been an offensive coordinator in the NFL first before he was a head coach. You know what, Lee? They were the the Cardinals last year were were somehow able to win 3 games and they trotted out uh what has probably been the worst offense of the last 20 years in the NFL. And I think the stats actually back that up. Um so <laughs> I guess put it this way if to kind of to your point and eh, not really but you know the defense last year for the Cardinals it actually wasn't that bad and their head coach Steve Wilkes is he's a defensive guy so that side of the football Steve Wilkes head first time head coach the defense was was good I mean it wasn't bad therefore use that same logic Cliff Kingsbury he's an offensive head coach so if he is able to have a good offense like you'd hope it is I would like to think that Vance Joseph as a defensive coordinator is going to be better than whatever the heck the Cardinals were doing with their offense last year. I, I think it was, I know, was it like Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator by the end of the season? And at first it was, ooh, I, it was like a, it was a head coaching retread, I think, for the first part. The, who was the old Chargers coach? <laughs> the only thing I can think uh, of is Ken Wisenhunt, but he actually used to coach the Cardinals. It wasn't Wisenhunt. I'm thinking of somebody else, but. Marty Schottenheimer. No. <laughs> yeah, I know, but still. Um, been, so anyways, yeah, a yeah. Schottenheimer would probably would have been a good guess there. Mike McCoy. Oh, Mike McCoy. Yeah. Yep. So he was the guy at first. So whatever offense he was running was just an absolute disaster. Byron Leftwich came and took over. It didn't get any better. And it just, yeah, by default, with Cliff Kingsbury being there, the offense is going to look so much better. So, yeah, I, they are definitely set up better to succeed this time around than they were last year by far, especially in a, like you mentioned the years 2019. You got to have a good offense. You got to be creative. Uh, and you mentioned you you said that Cardinals could be one of those surprise teams. I was looking at their over under in Vegas. What their win total is, Grant? It's at five right now. Man, pound pound the over on that. You think so? Yes. 
just for some comparison's sake, at this time last year, the Browns over under opened at five and a half. And where did the Browns go? Are they eight, seven, and one. And I, I just, I, I really like the idea of They're seven, eight, and one. You're, I, I really like the idea of you're, you're pairing a guy like Kyler Murray, who is one of the most dynamic athletes we've ever seen at the college level. Now, one of the more dynamic athletes we've ever seen in the NFL. When he does play, you're pairing him with one of the best running backs in the NFL, who is a veteran. You're pairing him with one of the best wide receivers ever in the history of the league, who is obviously a veteran and who still has some some tread on those tires. Um, he he's got Ch- Charles Clay, who is a veteran in this league, who has been a productive player. Uh, marrying him with Cliff Kingsbury, who is a who's a brilliant offensive mind. Uh, this this has an opportunity to work very very well. I'm just I, I'm just laying it out there right now for when it happens. My last thing on this, the offensive line will be the main concern, I think, of the offseason. And if it's not the main concern, it'll be the, the underrated main concern because that's the most important thing. If the offensive line is not good or things don't go as well and Murray gets hit, Grant, and he starts to maybe rely on his legs a little more than he's used to, especially in his one year at Oklahoma, that's where it could get interesting and not in a good way. Because what makes him so good is that he's able to throw from the pocket and he, he doesn't panic and use his legs unless he absolutely desperately has to. And he doesn't really want to unless it's designed. So that's that's another one of my concerns is is will it make him a little less, you know, a little less confident if things aren't going well, he starts getting hit, and then he turns into one of those quarterbacks, like those those young quarterbacks, not a whole lot of experience and and wants to run before they should run. And I think I think that's a fair concern. But that's also a fair concern for every rookie that steps into the NFL. Um, it's just if, with him, he's so much better sure. at that than everybody else. I, I know. And and you're, you're talking about when that's something he's always been very good at, avoiding pressure and not being hit. You're asking what happens if he does start getting – what if he starts to get hit? Um, yep. And I think it would be foolish to think that he's not going to take some licks. Of course he will. Um, but at the same time, avoiding contact um, – over the course of 2018, Lee, that was one of the strengths of his game. That's something yeah. that is very, very present in his mind, not taking big hits. Um, and, you know, I, I just, it would, I, I think it would definitely behoove him to, uh, to work on that part of the game, obviously. And that would, you know, I would say that to anyone going into the NFL. Um, but I, I got to watch for a decade, Lee, you know, Peyton Manning, even when the guy got sacked, he very rarely got hit because he was really good at giving up on plays. And if ever he thought that he was going to go down and there was nothing he could do, he just went down. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's something that um, I, I mean I'm happy he did that because that he, he proved to you know over the course of his career he was a guy who got injured, and I, I'm glad he was able to preserve himself up to that point. Uh, it would be wise for Kyler to maybe think of something similar to that um, when he's in the open field, Lee. I don't think anyone's going to touch him. All right. Uh, any other? Thoughts on, the, I mean, Josh Rosen ended up getting traded to Miami for a second round pick and a 2020 fifth round pick. I, I mean, I don't, I guess this probably isn't the podcast for that. I mean, uh, he, he can still be good. It's just, and that's, Miami's didn't give up a whole lot to get a guy that, I, I mean, I don't know. I, he can still be a pretty good player. I mean, he's, we, I, I liked him a lot more a couple of years ago than I do now. But I think he's he's a better prospect than Daniel Jones and Dwayne Haskins, in my opinion. So yeah, I think he would be the clear cut uh, number two prospect from this past draft, and uh, the Dolphins just got basically a second, got him in the second round. Um, and when you compare that to what the Giants did with Daniel Jones, 
insanely valuable proposition for the Miami mm-hmm. Dolphins. They, I mean, that's that's a free that's a free pick right there. Yeah, like, I mean, it's yeah. We'll save we'll save more of those those quarterback draft thoughts for the hot take of the week segment. Let's touch on the other Sooners who were drafted over the weekend. And at the top of the show, I said that I think a, a healthy number of these guys who were drafted could be starting come this fall. We know Murray's going to be the starter in Arizona. Uh, it'd be a huge upset if Marquise Brown doesn't start and play a bunch of snaps for the Ravens. Hollywood, of course, went in the first round as well, along with Kyler, 25th pick overall. So I think that's right there. That's two of the eight suitors drafted that'll be starting in the fall. Six more guys are drafted. Cody Ford, Bobby Evans, Drew Samia, Ben Powers, Austin Seibert, and Rodney Anderson. So I'm going to quickly go through all those guys here, and then I'll let Grant jump in. You got Cody Ford. He'll get every opportunity to start in Buffalo. Bobby Evans probably gonna be a long shot to start in LA with the Rams because they seem to be pretty set on the line last year you got the Vikings offensive line that's been below average in recent seasons so Drew Samia who is in Minnesota should have a shot to win a starting job there you got Ben Powers joining Marquise Brown in Baltimore Powers does have some competition but Orlando Brown he wasn't expected to start for the Ravens last season and then Zeus ended up earning that job and played incredibly well you got Austin Seibert who could easily win the Browns kicker job that was a position that was messed up all year for them and Greg Joseph was fine for the most part the last half of the season but that'll be a competition then finally you got Rodney Anderson who is not going to take Joe Mixon's spot in Cincinnati but if Anderson stays healthy we're going to see a one-two Oklahoma running back punch in Cincinnati so that's a brief overview of all the guys who got drafted for Oklahoma I'm going to say I think five of those players Grant could be starting in week one what are your thoughts huh okay yeah I mean so actually I think um I think of the of the offensive linemen the only one who I don't think really has a chance to start right away is Bobby Evans um I think Samia Samia probably has the best chance because the Vikings offensive line situation is such a disaster and um, they, for some reason, in the 2019 NFL want to get under center and run the ball because Mike Zimmer is an idiot. Um, <laughs> so I think Samia probably has, you know, and, and Samia is a devastating run blocker. Uh, so I think he has the best the best chance probably of starting right away. Uh, well, I mean, Cody Ford's going to step in and start day one for, the, for Buffalo. Um, I mean, they want him to. That's for sure. And th- that was a report that Schefter put out that the Bills are trying to get – they were trying to trade back into the first round to draft Cody Ford, and I guess the asking price was too high, and they still got him in the second round. I mean, this must have been a, a pretty deep offensive lineman draft because yeah, yeah, there I, were some guys that were taken in the second round, like Cody Ford and that guy from Florida, I think Jawan Taylor, that were, I think, projected as like first-round picks easily. Yeah, I saw Jawan Taylor in, in a majority of top tens that I saw in mock drafts, and he fell. Um, you know what? The only thing I can really say about the Bills is that you guys just got the best offensive lineman in the draft in the second round. So, um, congrats on that. <laughs> so, <laughs> congratulations, guys. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's that's awesome. You, um, Whether or not he's going to play guard or tackle, you just you got a pro bowler in the second round. So, congrats. When... When there were teams that took like six, there were six or seven guys for somehow that went ahead of him. So yeah, that's. Um, I mean, how much of that has to do with his combine, his bench press? A lot you of know, it. His strength. A lot of it. Probably I, I think a lot. If you, if, yeah. if, if, if you watch tape, I don't think you can come or come away with any other conclusion other than Cody Ford's the best offensive lineman in this draft. But, um, 
Yeah, I mean, there are obviously guys who put up better athletic numbers, and that's something that uh, teams are really valuing in the NFL these days. I don't blame them for it, especially with more of the the shift to the spread and whatnot. Uh, but you just saw a guy be the best offensive lineman in college football playing in the spread. So, you know, to each his own, I suppose. Credit to Ryan Aber at the Oklahoman. He put together a nice piece on all the Oklahoma guys who were drafted and kind of how they fit in with their current team. And so what he writes as far as Cody Ford goes is that apparently the Bills have signed six free agent offensive linemen and have 14 linemen on their roster total. So the Bills have brought a lot of dudes in, and so the competition will be pretty high for Cody Ford. But you got to expect, since they got Cody Ford so high and they wanted him in the first round, they're going to want this guy to step in and play right away. So they're going to give him every opportunity to win that job. And then, yeah, so I, I just want to give credit to Ryan for that. He's a good article. Uh, ben Powers, oh, do you got something? Uh, well, no, I mean, I was going to say the, the Bills had a really good draft. Really good draft. Um, just based off their first two picks. They took Ed Oliver with their first pick. Um, yeah, fell to him. Ed Oliver might, I, I, and, and I've seen other people say this, um, so it's not necessarily like a, a scorching hot or unique take. Uh, Ed Oliver might turn out to be the best player in this draft. Um, he was definitely the best college player, uh, not Kyler Murray notwithstanding in this draft. So um, Even better than Bosa? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Like, not even, it's, that's, that's laughable that you even, like, Ed Oliver is one of the best interior defensive linemen we've ever seen in college. Quinnen Williams is the only one who can, who can even rival him, I think, in terms of college career. You're not concerned about the fact that he played at Houston and didn't face that great a competition? Do you remember? Oh, I suppose you weren't really around at this time, but Ed Oliver stepped in day one as a true freshman and just absolutely embarrassed Oklahoma's offensive line in 2016. Was, yeah, I was, was uh, legitimately I was in the backfield in on watching. every yeah. single play. Like, I, I don't... Um, I don't think I don't think an Oklahoma offensive line has been dominated by a defensive lineman ever, more so than than Ed Oliver did that day. The guy's insane. Their third round draft pick, a player that Oklahoma fans are somewhat familiar with, Devin Singletary out of FAU. He's a good player too. I could see him being a being a decent bit player in the NFL. Um. So yeah. But I guess you know, going back, I think um, I think out of all the offensive linemen, um. I think honestly, the, the the biggest slam dunk is it, Ben Powers is going to have a ten year career in the NFL and just be a rock solid player. Um, you know, I, I thought I thought Powers was was very clearly the second best player on that offensive line uh, last year, and so and so it kind of surprised me that he was the last one you know taken of all these guys. But that's just you know sort how or sort of how it turned out and. You know his his position, of course, is not valued insanely high in the NFL, and that's okay. But man, that guy was dominant in college. He's a good player. He's a real good player. Yeah, he yeah, he's really good. And I was just thinking about this today as I was putting this together, and I was kind of reminded of it. But as I was reading Ryan's article in the Oklahoma and about these players, Powers going to Baltimore. Baltimore has Marshall Yonda, who's this great veteran offensive lineman and I remember back at Big 12 media days this past summer and I asked Powers you know who are you know when you have a chance to watch the NFL and film like who do you kind of model your game after who do you watch a lot and first guy Powers said was Marshall Yonda and so now Powers gets to go and play next to this guy or play I guess with this guy that he's been looking up to and watching on tape and he gets to actually be in the same locker room with him 
that's got to be a thrill for Powers. And just based off of that, too, I, he's going to – yeah, he's going to probably learn a lot more. And if that's a player that he's kind of modeled his game after, and he's got to play with him now, yeah, I, I would tend to think that Powers is a guy that, that could be playing the NFL for a long time. All right, so you said you think five five guys could be starting? Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I I would say five. Samia and well, Ford. Well, I think Cyber and Brown and Brown and Murray, and then Cyber was my fifth because I think he could okay. win that job. Okay, so actually, I'll I'll just call my shot now. Um, I think the only guys who are going to be starting are Murray, Brown, Ford, and Cyber. Uh, but I think I think Samia uh, will will start some games. I think Powers will start some games. Um, Evans, I'm not sure. I don't I don't know a ton about their situation, but um. Him being a third round pick, I mean, he was a day two pick. I mean, that typically, if a team spends a third round pick on you, that means you are part of their future plans. Um, so they like Bobby Evans, obviously. Yeah. So Ryan Aber at the Oklahoma writes that it looks like potentially that Evans, they've drafted Evans as maybe the the successor to left tackle Andrew Whitworth for the Rams, and Whitworth is 37 years old, and apparently he's still good, but his career is nearing the end. So. Uh, according to Ryan Aber, he thinks the left side would be Evans' best bet because there's a guy named Rob Havenstein who's locked in at right tackle okay. in, uh, in, L- in L.A. So, and, and, and of so course, I mean, good we, stuff from Ryan. And, of course, we, we saw Bobby Evans play for three years. I think we would all agree that he was, he was a lot better on the right side. Um, I mean, frankly, dominant on the right side. And then uh, was good this past year, but not, not as good on the left side as, as he was on the right. So... Uh, definitely interesting to see if you know if they're going to put him on the left side, but he's certainly more comfortable on the right. I think that's fairly demonstrable. Let's talk about Marquise Brown. And Thursday night, I was at work watching the draft, kind of waiting to see where all these guys would go. And I was there in the sports office with West of Everest listener Brett, and we were both watching. And the Ravens came up, and we were kind of waiting, and we were trying to figure out, okay, when the hell when's Marquise Brown going to get drafted? And we were both saying, well. It better not be to the Ravens. That would be just a horrible fit. And then Goodell gets up there and announces that Marquise Brown was drafted by the Ravens. So you got Marquise Brown, who is an incredible route runner, very smart, blazing fast speed, going to play wide receiver for a team that has a quarterback that at best, at best is a slightly below average, at best, throw over the football in the NFL. I'm not happy about him going to Baltimore Grant he's going to play right away I think the only other guy on their roster that's notable is um gosh who's the guy who used to play for the Saints um oh boy that's bad I can see that that they have nobody there god I gotta look this up uh fast. yeah no it was geez I, I, was, um, I was actually just reading Will, this, uh, this morning Willie Sneed yeah Willie he's Sneed <laughs> and John Brown I think was there too yeah I, I don't see him on their was roster the corpse anymore. of Michael Crabtree on their team as well According to this website, the Ravens 2019 offseason, Crabtree's not there. They got Willie Sneed, Marquise Brown's the top two receivers, and then honestly, I've maybe heard of one other guy. Seth Roberts, Chris Moore, Jordan Lazley, Jaleel Scott, and Quincy Adeboyo. I so they got they have no wide receivers. To be fair though, they have three like uh like super hybrid receiver tight ends though. Yes. With Hurst, Andrews, and also people forget about Max Williams, the gopher. Uh, I don't think he's there anymore. Is he not there anymore? Really? They have uh, Nick Boyle. 
is okay. the guy that was playing a lot last year. All right, so Max Williams is gone. Team huh? anymore. Well, anyway, they still have Andrews and they have Hurst, who are, I think, actually, are probably going to be the uh, Lamar Jackson's prime targets. Yeah, yeah. And so they, uh, the Ravens, they're, I don't know, look, their offense, I don't know what the heck they're doing. I mean, they're trying to put a bunch of speed around Lamar Jackson. They're trying to zag while everyone zigs. Yeah. Um, it's and, smart. You know, it's smart. Like, I, I mean, they can, uh, this is something that, you know, they can be successful with. They they have to have a, a really good defense with this philosophy, but that's mm-hmm. okay. I mean, they, uh, I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to, they're trying to overwhelm you with size on the offensive line. They want hybrid guys who can also block but can flex out and, and catch passes. And now they want the the speedster who can who can beat you down the field with Marquise Brown. I, I understand what they're trying to do. Um, it could definitely work, but it's definitely predicated on Lamar Jackson becoming at least an average NFL thrower. Yeah, absolutely. And, and interesting, they drafted Justice Hill from Oklahoma State. And who, it's a team with a bunch of running backs and Justice Hill, who had, I think, one of the best 40 times of all the running backs at the combine. Who a guy he was a guy who was who was really considered uh, like really underrated. I saw by a lot of um, kind of a lot of takes I was reading last week like, leading up to the draft. Who are who are the most un, or who are the most underrated guys who are like the the day three guys that you'll go to bat for. Justice Hill was in every single one of those articles. And I kind of laughed. I thought Justice Hill uh, was pretty overrated college player. Um, and I thought. The reason why, you know, Chuba Hubbard sort of overshadowed him at the end of last season because Chuba Hubbard is a lot better than he is. You know, obviously, I work here in Oklahoma City. I cover both OU and OSU. Uh, I Justice Hill's a he's a nice player, but good college player. I, I I agree. I think I think Chuba Hubbard's better. I think Chuba Hubbard's actually faster than Justice Hill. I mean, Hubbard was a track star. He's bigger than Justice Hill. Uh, it, I, he's just, he's a really explosive player. I just and the only problem he had all last year was I think he had like a, a fumble issue as we saw against uh, against OU. But man, Chuba Hubbard's a scary player, and I I'm Justice glad you, Hill's a, I'm glad you he's, brought he's, that. He's, up. A, he's a nice player. Yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Lee, because the next thing I was going to say was um, when Justice when Justice Hill had the ball in his hands, I was never scared, ever. Yeah, hey, well, I mean he burned Oklahoma in 17 and I think everybody did because yeah everyone just got torched in that game I think that's the greatest compliment that you can pay to an offensive player is that when they have the ball in their hands you are terrified of them um and of course I I I said I said that all season long about LJ Humphrey he didn't even get drafted somehow somehow (laughs) didn't even get drafted yeah other running backs on the Ravens roster they're loaded at running back they got Mark Ingram now Gus Edwards and Kenneth Dixon still, and then you add Justice Hill to the the mix. So yeah, we'll see. That'll be an interesting team to follow. Uh, which it's the NFL, so all the teams are fun and interesting because it's football. Uh, lastly, before we move on to something else, Grant Rodney Anderson, Bengals take him sixth round pick. I really wanted my Bears to draft him at some point. Uh, the Bears ended up getting David Montgomery from Iowa State relatively early. I think in the third round, third or fourth round, yeah, third round. Uh, uh I, I would have loved to see. Gosh, I, they drafted another running back the Bears did later in the draft, so it means that they wanted another running back. They could have taken Rodney in like the fifth or sixth before the Bengals got him. Clearly, they just they were scared away by his injury history, I'm guessing. But, man, I mean, the easy thing to say on that one, everyone that knows anything about Rodney Anderson, is that if that guy does not get hurt, he's a first-round talent at running back, and there's no doubt about it. If he would have played a full season in 2018 and been 100% healthy coming out, I think he'd have been the number one running back off the board. 
And the, the Kyler Josh Murray, Jacobs. I don't know. I don't know if Kyler Murray would have been the number one pick. Uh oh. Me, what do you mean? Well, I mean in the sense that if Rodney Anderson stayed healthy the entire season, I think Rodney probably would have taken some of the shine off of Kyler. Well, I think Murray still would be number one pick. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm mostly just saying because if if Rodney started every single game, he he would have run for like 1,800 yards last year, and <laughs> would have scored a ton of touchdowns and. Yeah, what I mean, Kyler still of... would have gotten. Yeah. Kyler still would have gotten his though. Yeah, maybe. So, but that's interesting though to bring it up. So yeah, I mean that's. I'm not sure if there's a whole lot to say about Rodney Anderson because there's just a massive asterisk asterisk next to him. But I mean, for the Bengals, like that's a total uh, low risk, massive reward draft pick. I mean, that's. I mean, it's a great pick. Great pick by the Bengals. Yeah. Um. Of course, you know, as an OU fan, the the idea of having Mixon and, and Rodney in the same backfield, something we sadly never got to see at OU, um, that's really cool. I think that would be really cool, and it's all going to come down to health. I think if Rodney is healthy and if, if he can stay on the field, I think he, he's he's going to win that number two spot. He's just he's too good. Um, but, I, I mean, I honestly am not sure about him, how much he's going to take away from Mixon. Uh, Lee, Joe Mixon is absolutely one of the 10 best running backs in the NFL. He is really, really good. Yeah. Uh, just one final thought on that, too. Pretty, uh, probably a, a big reason why since he took him. I mean, Mixon's there, obviously, so they, they kind of have their eyes on OU. But the fact that their new coach, Zach Taylor, he's from Norman, played in the Big 12. Oh, so that's he, right. I totally, he, it's, I totally forgot it's that Zach Taylor. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he knows the Big 12. He knows the area. He obviously knows Oklahoma. So, he... He knew about Rodney Anderson, so there's, and they drafted another running back too in the draft. So it wasn't just Anderson, but uh, you know Zach Taylor. I'm sure he knows the talent that's there if they can keep the guy off the off uh, IR. Mm-hmm. And and that's also one of those things too. If if people are kind of worried about you know him going to a spot where there already is an entrenched starter with Mixon, um, if, if Rodney is healthy and he is and he he proves to be a good player. That's that's not going to be a problem. Other teams are going to want him. Yeah, you know, if, if 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 he if he turns into one of the thirty-two best guys in the league, he's going to play, and other teams are going to be banging down their door to get him. So, well, in this day and age, you need to have you need to have more than one running back, anyways. You do. I guess I'm more. Yeah, I guess I'm more just in terms of a one-two punch. Rodney and Mixon have very similar skill sets. They're they're pretty much yeah. this. They're, they're the same style of running back. So that's why. Yeah. I'm, just kind of, kind of an odd fit if if that's what you want to go with. Any other comments on the guys who were drafted before we just quickly mention the players who signed as undrafted free agents? Uh, are you good? No, I'm good. I just I, I'm I'm Let's I'm really see. happy that uh, that Hollywood was the first wide receiver taken. Well deserved. Yeah, me too. Me too. Best luck to him. So just real quick, the undrafted free agents. I believe it was four players. Amani Bledsoe goes to the Titans. Carson Meyer goes to the Jaguars, Curtis Bolton to the Packers, and Marcellus Sutton going to Seattle. I, you know, what? I, I would not have bet, I would not have bet that Marcellus Sutton and Curtis Bolton would get signed. That I'm not surprised about Meyer because he's a big dude. He's pretty, he's somewhat athletic, got a good season. And Bledsoe is a player that has tons of upside. But hey, good for Bolton and Sutton for getting an opportunity. I, I would not have. Not have guessed those two players would get a shot, but uh, I think Meyer. I think Meyer's going to craft himself a roster spot at some point in time in his career. I think Meyer's going to make it. And I'm still shocked that Dimitri Flowers hasn't panned out. 
I just I thought for sure he'd find a way on a roster, a it's, 53 man. It, it a lot of that just might have to do with his height and his size. You know, maybe they just that's not what know. they wanted out of that like kind of flex position in the NFL. Carson Meyer certainly checks those boxes for the NFL, and Car- Carson Meyer was so good last year. Yeah. All right, real quick before we talk about some of the current guys on the OU football team. For those of you who are relatively new to the show, feel free to leave us a rating and or a review on iTunes. If you just lift up your phone or whatever you use as your podcast player, look for where it says tap to rate. And it'd be awesome if you left us five stars. Also, just below that, it says write a review. If you've got a moment and would like to provide us some feedback, please go ahead and do that. We appreciate all the support and all you listeners out there make all the work that we put into this podcast worth it. So thanks again for all of that. And of course, like the show on Facebook. You can follow Grant on Twitter at Grant Benson 25. I'm at Lee Benson News 9. And the email address to email the show is West of Everest at gmail.com. All right. With the 2019 draft in the rearview mirror, inevitably a bunch of 2020 mock drafts came out. I mean, why not? People need content. We saw two Sooners show up on these mock drafts quite a bit. CeeDee Lamb and Grant Calcaterra. Mostly Lamb, though. There's also one surprising name that appears in a Bleacher Report mock draft, which we'll touch on in a moment. But let's start with CeeDee Lamb. And this is going to be credit to the Crimson and Cream Machine website for gathering this information. Put all the the mock drafts in kind of one place. We wouldn't have to click around everywhere. In six different drafts, CeeDee Lamb is the sixth pick. 13th pick, 14th pick, 23rd pick, 30th pick, and in the, quote, others to watch category in one of the mock drafts. So I haven't done a deep dive at all yet on the 2020 class of wide receivers, but kind of hard to imagine that one or two players in college right now are better NFL prospects in the 2020 class than CeeDee Lamb. Grant, your thoughts on just these mock drafts in general and CeeDee Lamb. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The only one who's really coming to mind who might rival CeeDee is T. Higgins at Clemson. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's really it. Uh, maybe I guess maybe Jerry Judy. Yeah, and this mock draft from the draft network that has Lamb going sixth overall, they got Jerry Judy going second overall to the Cardinals. And they have LaVisca Chenault from the Colorado going one spot ahead yeah, of Yeah, I forgot CD about Lamb. Chenault. This, is, this actually is a really deep wide receiver class coming up here. So Yeah, yeah Tylen I mean, Wallace will be eligible Tylen as well. Tylen Wallace as well, yeah. So, you know, yeah. Jalen Rager, T. Yeah. Higgins. You yeah. know, yeah, CeeDee Lamb's a first-round pick. Um, I, th- I think he's almost certainly the most polished out of all of those guys for sure. Um, we're just going to have to mm. see what he does in 2019. Um, the, the stage is set. I mean, he has, he, he started from day one as a freshman, did not, did not look like a freshman at all. Uh, he just picked up right where he left off this past season. He looked great all season long. Um, I'm expecting him to be the obvious number one guy, uh, in the offense next year. I mean, I, I, th- I think the offense largely might run through CD lamb next year. Um, if I, I bet if you pulled Lincoln Riley about the orange bowl, that would be his biggest regret. Is not is just not going to CD Lamb early and often as much as humanly possible. Just like after the first series, just you know, yep. you know what? Let's just isolate this guy against uh, who was the corner? Was it Savion Smith? It was or Sir, uh, Sertan, Pat- Patrick Sertan. Yeah, and just been you know what, Kyler, just pepper the ball to CD. Let him just go win one on ones. And like, just I'm 
if if they find themselves in a position to play Alabama again in this upcoming year, you heard it here first. Do not be surprised if that's what they do right from the right from the get go. Is just go just go to their stud over and over again. So CD, yeah, he's awesome, great player. He'll be a first round guy. Grant Calcaterra, the Draft Network has him going tenth overall. Uh, two four seven Sports Calcaterra as a sixteen number sixteen pick. Uh, doesn't appear in the SB Nation mock draft. Doesn't appear in Sporting News. So, uh, Calcaterra in others to watch category for Yahoo, and so does Lamb. I mean, Yahoo doesn't have it. Doesn't have Lamb in the first round. That's that's dumb. But uh, I mean, Calcaterra obviously he's a big-bodied guy, very athletic. Uh, I mean, he's your typical move tight end that you see these days. Not much of a blocking tight end. Uh, he's not really asked to do that a whole lot at OU, but uh, he's certainly a, a first-round talent, especially after we saw, what, Noah Font and uh, who was the other guy from Iowa? I, I'm i so bad at these guys. He's already TJ uh, Hawkinson. Hawkinson, yeah. I mean, that freaking Iowa, you know, the high-flying Iowa offense with, with two first-round tight ends, apparently. Uh, Tells you know, all you need so, to know about Iowa then. Jeez. Yeah. So Calcaterra, that's interesting. Yeah, He's, can I actually uh, push back on that? I don't think uh, where we stand, I, I, I vehemently disagree that Grant Calcaterra is a first round pick. Um, just no, I mean, I as of as of like where we stand right now, like I, he's a mid round pick, I think at best. He doesn't. Yeah, I mean, when I watch him play, I've never thought like I do with CD Lamb that yeah, that guy's a first rounder. So that, I mean, that he's could made, be a, he's made some great. I mean, he's the the potential is there. I mean, he's he's got the body that you want for a tight end in the NFL. He's a big dude. He's long. Uh, he catches the ball with his hands. Uh, people forget he kind of had some drop problems this year. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, he does make up for that sometimes with some incredible catches. He does that. He's already put a whole, an entire highlight reel of those in in his first two years. Um, this is going to be a big year for Calcaterra. Where he stands right now, he's. He's not. I don't. He's not even close to being a day two pick to where he stands right now. But with a big season, you never know. I, I just well, it's all about you know, it's like, the, like the NBA a lot. I mean, it's all about measurables and potential, and he's got all that. He's a guy. He's, who, just in a, he's an offense where there's so many mouths to feed. Yeah, he's a guy. It wouldn't surprise that, yeah. me at all if he tests off the charts. But at the same time, like I don't. He's never when he's on the field. He's never looked like a burner or anything like that. He moves really smoothly, and he looks very athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like a guy who would have an amazing vertical, hmm. but he no. hasn't popped as much as Mark Andrews popped. That's for sure. No, no, he hasn't. I, I think he's, I think he's more athletic than Mark Andrews. I think that's fairly demonstrable. Um, yeah. but in, in terms of, in terms of polish and, and being a good receiver, he's, he's not quite on Mark Andrews level quite yet. So the surprising player that shows up on one of these mock drafts on this bleacher report mock draft by a guy named matt miller number 29 overall in the first round linebacker kenneth murray and there's been enough you know us criticizing kenneth murray on this podcast Uh, you all know how where we stand i don't really feel like being incredibly mean today so what i'll say is that you know what? I hope that Matt Miller is right. And I hope that Kenneth Murray is a first round pick because that means that he will have a fantastic 2019 season in this new Alex Grinch defense. And oh, after all, he actually is a good good linebacker and he's he's just been kind of underachieving in a bad defense. I hope that he's right. 
But there is no way at this point that Kenneth Murray is a first round. Let's be let's be just abundantly clear here. The only reason Matt Miller put Kenneth Murray in the first round, and we're we're being honest here. Oh my god! Okay, I know this is going. (laughs) Is because he has probably watched a lot of OU football, and Kenneth Murray wears a uniform better than anyone who has ever played football. And he looks (laughs) like I knew that's where you're going. And he looks like a Greek god. Does he not? I mean, he he, does. That that is why he was just he was put in the first round in this mock draft. There is nothing that you can say that will dissuade me from that. Yeah. And clearly this guy is basing a lot of this off of stats, which, you know what, doing these mock drafts, and I'm sure they got to kind of push him out pretty quickly. It's impossible to do tons of research on everybody. But uh, I mean, you look at Kenneth Murray's stats last year, and he and Curtis Bolton, their, stat, uh, their tackles were just way overly inflated. I mean, look at the other Big 12 team stats, and it's just like, okay, I mean, there's no way that it just it doesn't look right, and so you know he got a lot of tackles, so therefore, hey, he's being he's being productive, and uh, that doesn't necessarily translate into you know uh, what you want. Put it that way. Sure, a lot of tackles where the first contact he made was four yards down the field, and then held on for dear life to bring him down. So yeah, uh, whatever. I mean, again, you all know how we feel about Kenneth Murray. I hope he's, I hope he improves and plays really well because obviously I want Oklahoma to play well. And it's just it's it's been a it's been a rough couple of first two years for number nine, K nine, if you will, on the defense. So anything else on these mock drafts that stood out to you that you want to talk about, either uh, well, OU I mean, related or no, I mean the only related? thing the only thing I can say is that um with uh with a really good season coming up, Neville Gallimore can absolutely be a first round pick. So I'm I'm gonna make oh. that clear. That's like I mean, this is Neville Gallimore. I think already is probably going to be a, a second or third round pick if he were to come out now, just with his measure. Because he because he, he's going to kill the combine whenever he goes. Yeah, that's um, true. If he can put up like a productive season where he puts up numbers, and then he goes to the combine and then puts up all of those numbers that we've all seen uh, for the for the four years that he's done, like with like there's um, reports that he's running four seven forties at three hundred and thirty pounds. Um, I, it only takes one team in the NFL to see that and take them in the first round. I'm just, that, that doesn't happen with interior defensive linemen. So it's just difficult to talk about any Oklahoma defensive players being drafted, especially after this year when they had zero defensive players. Of course. I'm I'm just saying from a measurables and like the athletic profile. I know what you mean. Yeah. um, Yeah. I mean, it'd be shocking if he didn't get drafted. If Neville Gallimore puts together a good season, like an all big 12 season. He is going to be a first round pick. I can almost you can almost chisel it in stone right now. Yeah, I mean he's at that position that's becoming increasingly valuable in the NFL, where you got a, a quick can play interior, or you can put him even on the on the outside if you really want to get crazy with it because how fast it can be. So yeah, interesting. All right, let's finish up the show with one of my favorite segments, a segment we have not done since last summer, I believe. This is the Hot Take of the Week segment, the segment in which we play audio of a hot take made by somebody you've probably heard of, and then discuss whether or not it was a good take. This week, we've got Clay Travis in the crosshairs. Clay is a guy that seemingly hears about anybody and everybody who criticizes him. I follow him on Twitter, and he, anytime he gets criticized, he'll kind of make jokes and stuff like that. So he sees a lot of the stuff, 
And to be clear, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just pointing that out in case somehow this segment gets back to him. If so, for the record, I do really like Clay Travis. I enjoy him a lot. I listen to his radio show every single day. I listen to the podcast because it airs from 5 to 8 a.m. here in Oklahoma City, so very early in the morning, and I work late into the night, so I will obviously not get up for that. His podcast is very entertaining, or his radio show, just Clay in general, incredibly entertaining, very entertaining guy. I know he loves football, like like we all do listen to his podcast, uh, but here's the thing, though. His specialty is the SEC, and that's not a secret. On his show, his gambling show, Lock It In, they refer to him as an SEC nerd. And he even wrote a book years ago about going to all the SEC football stadiums during game days, during a college football season. So, like, he, he's an expert on the SEC. I mean, he lives in Nashville. He, he knows about the SEC. I say all of that because when it comes to non-SEC football, a lot of the times he'll make some questionable calls. He'll say some questionable things. And... Recently, he's been taking a questionable stance on Daniel Jones and the Giants taking him number six overall. So let's play Clay's hot take, and then Grant and I will react. This is from Outkick the Show on Monday, April 29th. Daniel Jones, to me, is one of the most criticized NFL draft picks I've ever seen, and I frankly don't get it. There are many first-round NFL quarterbacks that don't pan out. There are many that get drafted that I don't see why they got drafted where they did. Kyler Murray has played one year and is maybe 5'9". Dwayne Haskins has played one year and is not a very good athlete and is not very mobile in the pocket. Daniel Jones is the other first-round pick. I think all three of these picks have substantial flaws associated with them. But what we have learned, if anything, from the NFL draft is projecting who is going to end up a stud is almost impossible to do. Figuring out why one guy is going to end up a Hall of Famer or a Pro Bowler and another guy didn't based on their college career is insanely difficult. Ultimately, Dave Gettleman, the GM of the uh, Giants, is putting his job probably on the line over how good he thinks Daniel Jones is going to be. I don't understand all of the criticism. Daniel Jones is not that much different than Mitch Trubisky, who a lot of Chicago Bear fans are very happy about. Jamarcus Russell went over number one overall in this league. Akili Smith was insanely high uh, drafted in this league. Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow. There are tons of quarterbacks in the first round. Blake Bortles, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, who have all ended up being incredible bust relative to where they were drafted and so I find it crazy that everybody's coming out and being like oh how in the world did you take Daniel Jones number six all right Grant a lot to unpack here a lot to unpack here I have it kind of broken down into each little segment that I feel like is is easy to debate so would you like me to kind of start with everything or would you want to begin to tee off on it because I know that you and I are both on the same page on this one we were kind of laughing a lot before. Oh, yeah, we're just going to be, this entire segment's just going to be dunking. That's all it's going to be. All right, I'll, I'll start. I'll yeah, start with start. it, and then and we'll go kind of, I have it broken down kind of comment by comment, and then you can kind of piggyback off my stuff. So let's start from the very beginning. He mentions the three, you know, main first-round picks. I think was there's only three, right? It was, it was Murray, Haskins, and uh, Daniel Jones, because Drew Locke fell the second round, which if we have time at the end, we can talk about Drew Locke if we want who Clay was surprised fell to the second round, as he's said multiple times, which 
if anybody knew anything about quarterbacks, you should not be surprised that Drew Locke is a second-round pick because he, at best, is second-round talent. But I digress. So he says that Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins have each played one year, which, of course, we know that. That's that's a knock on them. Uh, it's a criticism of them because their experience is in there. Daniel Jones has played three years at Duke. I mean, he played a lot more games. Okay, that's fine. Uh, and then he mentions that Kyler Murray is barely five foot nine, which I'm so tired of people he- saying something like that because he was measured at the combine. He's over five foot ten. So people, please stop saying he's barely five nine or he's he's not even five nine. That's not true. He's five ten and an eighth. Like, like stop using like this height. Th- if like he already is shorter than normal, just say his height. Like the fact that you're like lying about his height still kind of makes me think that you're trying to like find something where there's nothing there anyways that's that's annoying to me because people keep talking about how he's like five eight or five nine no he's not he's five ten plus and then he mentions that Dwayne Haskins is not very athletic so those are the knocks on Haskins and Murray and he doesn't really name any sort of knocks on Daniel Jones that I'm aware of in that clip he just he kind of knocks Haskins and Murray so that's my first thing is he was he's first of all he's wrong about Murray and okay if his one knock on Murray is that he's short. Okay, we've gone over this. Doesn't really matter that much. And then Haskins has athleticism. Why didn't he ma- name any any reasons to knock Daniel Jones? I mean, there's plenty of negatives about Daniel Jones that we'll get into moving forward. But I have all their stats: Haskins, Murray, and Jones from their last years in college in 2018. Bef- and before I get to the stats, I'll let you jump in with with what you want to say. Sure. So first of all, let me just I'll let me just point out the the fatal flaw. In Clay Travis's argument, he doesn't acknowledge that Daniel Jones was a bad college quarterback, um, and he and then he proceeds to list off some of I mean, the relatively best, relatively speaking relatively correct. speaking yeah and then he and then he proceeds to list off a list of some of the best quarterbacks in the history of college football. Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel. Uh, I mean, and that's mostly Jamarcus, that's mostly who yeah. I'm talking about there. Jamarcus yeah. Russell had one really good season in the NFL. Um, whatever in, His, in the NFL or college. Uh, sorry, in college. Thank you. Because yeah, he didn't do anything um, in the NFL. From Trubisky, of course, was the first person he brought up. Doesn't acknowledge at all that Trubisky had amazing stats the one his one full year of starting in college was an accurate thrower in college. Something that Daniel Jones is not. Um, him bringing up Kyler's height is that's just a lazy take. I I have no respect for that take whatsoever. Um, it's so boring at this point. Yeah, and and Dwayne Haskins had the best season for a quarterback in the history of Ohio State, and honestly, the best the best season for a quarterback in the history of the Big Ten Conference. The only so the the, the only actual like the only actual arguably bad college player that he brought up was Jake Locker, and that's it. All the other guys that he brought up were were at the very worst, at the very least, really good college players. Right, right. And I have numbers for all those guys he brought up that I kind of want to save to the end. So just real quick, and, and here, you know, the fatal flaw that you mentioned that he, you know, Daniel Jones is not a good college player, relatively speaking. And here the numbers back it up. And now, like, okay, we're not we're not big numbers people. I mean, we were texting this during, you know, the last few days. The thing with numbers is they can be dis- they can disqualify you. If they're not at a certain standard. And with Daniel Jones, his last year in college, a season ago, he completed 60.5% of his passes, barely 60% of his passes. Now, compare that to Kyler Murray, who completed 69%, and Dwayne Haskins completed 70%. Both of those guys essentially completed 
their completion percentage was 10, 10 points higher than Daniel Jones. I mean, that is incredible. And now, so, I mean, that's a, that's a huge number. So it shows that they're able to complete passes and they're able to, to put the ball in the right spot. But arguably the most important number that you look at these days in quarterbacks, completion percentage, I think, is, is, is 1A. 1B grant, yards per attempt. In-depth stat people love yards per attempt because it shows you how, how confident you are pushing the ball down the field, not just dinking and dunking. Explosive plays come from a, a big yards per attempt. Dwayne Haskins, 9.1. That's really good. I mean, that's almost a first down every single time he throws the football. Kyler Murray, insane, 11.6. I mean, every time he threw the ball, Oklahoma would get a first down on average. Daniel Jones, Grant, yards per attempt, 6.8. And college football, that's really bad. That's really low. That means he's not throwing the ball far past the line of scrimmage, and he's not completing a high percentage of his passes relative to the other guys. That is a mm-hmm. massive red flag. So I'm really glad you brought up the stats, Lee, because you're right. I, I don't think we can use stats to gauge how good someone is going to be. But thankfully, there there are really you know smart stats people who have already done all of this stuff for us. And so um, we're in the offseason, but I'm going to bring in my favorite stat, the S&P, the S&P rating system. Bill Connolly, the purveyor of that, he, did, he had a really interesting write-up a couple weeks before the draft. Um, and basically what it's about is he's trying to use college stats, the S&P stats, like um, uh, success rate, all of that stuff. Yards per play is a big part of that as well, to try to predict how that correlates to the NFL. And so what he actually found, Lee, is that stats are never going to tell you everything about what a player can do in the NFL, but... He has found direct correlation that it can tell you for certain what players can't do. Oh. Yes. And so basically what he did was um, he ran, he, uh, he took uh, decades worth of college football stats um, and then compared those, those, uh, those players' stats to what they did in the NFL. And what he, uh, what he found, Lee, is that a player's ceiling in the NFL is their best season of college stats. That's what that's oh, what they found. Oh wow! So he is saying that in uh, ter- in, in terms of trends, history, and data and statistics, the best Daniel Jones could ever do, and this is best case scenario. All he could do is replicate his best season in college, which was his senior year, I believe, which was last season. Yes, which in, in which he was. Uh, let, let's call it what it is. He was a game manager for Duke. <laughs> and so Let me just double check um, that to make sure. Uh, yeah, I mean his his freshman year he had a higher completion percentage, but yards per attempt was lower, and only sixteen touchdowns, nine picks. This past year, twenty two touchdowns, nine picks. I mean, his career quarterback rating is one twenty two in college. Uh, compare that to. I mean, just one year, but, you know, Kyler Murray. Well, where did I go do with my stats here? Oh, crap. I lost it. All right. Uh, no, hold on. Here we go. Kyler Murray, this past year, quarterback rating. Again, not, not that crazy of a stat. Okay, I'm swallowing. 199, Kyler. Daniel Jones's career, 122. This past year, Daniel Jones is 131. Kyler's QB rating was 199. Dwayne Haskins was 174. I mean, uh, I mean these guys, I mean, they dwarf. 
They're dwarfing Jones. But go ahead, sir. I cut you off. Um, and yeah, also, so I just want to throw this out here. So Connolly, and and you know, he he breaks players down into tiers based off of this in terms of like most likely to succeed. Um, and I just want to bring this up, and I I'll, I'll tell you what tier one is in this in this year's draft of guys. But Lee, there were 22 NFL draft prospects in this year's draft. 22 of them. Um. Bill Connolly was able to come up with a formula to rank all of those based on their success rate, yards per attempt, their marginal efficiency. Daniel Jones, Lee, is the 21st ranked out of the 22 prospects um, based off of that. 22 quarterback prospects? Yeah, they're like 22 guys who are eligible to be drafted and put their names forward. And out of those 22, uh, in terms of college statistics, how effective they were in college, Daniel Jones is the second worst of all of the quarterbacks um, oh who have come out. And so I was jokingly before we actually came on um, that this is, and, and I know this has become kind of the trendy thing to just like pile on this. And it's probably getting a little tired from some people, sure, but it's, sure. it's so rare that we have an instance like this where piling on and it, this is the correct take. Um, it was <laughs> so Lee it's, and, and I said this before we went on, Daniel Jones going sixth overall is arguably, from what we know right now, arguably the worst draft pick of all time. Um, and I don't, I do not say that lightly. I understand what I'm saying, and I, I'm going to throw a qualifier qualifier out there. Based on these stats and and my same methodology, the Bills taking Josh Allen last year is also up there as well. So, um, right. Okay. I want to throw that out there, and then just to put a bow on this, I just want to tell you who Bill Connolly had as his tier one, um, and he he calls tier one the highest of ceilings based off of their college numbers, and this is pretty like uh, when when he when he goes back and does it, tier one generally always turns out to be the guys who succeed in the NFL. Um, here is was tier one from this draft: Lee, Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, and Will Greer. Yeah, not surprised. That's that's who yep. I would have guessed was my top three. Mm-hmm. And so tier two is Drew Locke, Ryan Finley, Jared Stidham, Gardner Minshew, and Kyle Shermer from Vanderbilt. But okay, um, so yeah, I just found that interesting. And also, um, like I, it's it's really hard to oversell um, if you're going off of what Daniel Jones did in college. It's it's almost impossible to oversell how catac- how cataclysmically terrible of a pick this was. Um, there is oh man. Um, you could, based off of what I've seen of Daniel Jones, looking at his numbers and everything, you can make a really convincing argument that he should have been undrafted. Um, that's how bad this is. And so yeah, I, just, I, I will put another... going all in on this. I I'll, love it. I'll put another bow on this. This is just one little thing here from Pro Football Focus that I want to put out. I saw this a few weeks ago. Um, here we go. It says... Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Save some, save some material, because I actually still have a lot more Oh, you got more. more okay. Oh, God. Yeah, this yeah. is just... This is so good, and like well, this I is so good through, for the NFL. This, this I terrible pick is so good for the NFL. But continue. So yeah, so save your pro football because I want to parse through some of the things that Clay says because ultimately this is the hot take segment, and I just want to make sure that we we make sure that we're commenting on certain parts of his take. And so he has a quote in there where he says, "Projecting who will end up a stud is almost impossible to do," and then he also adds. And I'm just going to paraphrase this. He says, determining if a player will be really good based off of college career is insanely difficult. Is it? Is it at the quarterback position? Because I could say in one, in one sense, kind of yes, because you look at Jamarcus Russell's final year in college, he actually has really good numbers. 67% completion percentage, 9.1 yards per attempt, 28 to, t- 28 to 8 touchdown interception, 
uh, Johnny Manziel, great numbers as well. We all know about that. I mean, Tim Tebow, great numbers, but kind of a different. Blake Bortles, fantastic numbers in his final year. 67% passing, 9.4 yards per attempt, 25 to 9 touchdown interception, a 163 rating. I mean, so you could say, I mean, those guys had pretty good numbers. I mean, Bortles has had like a, I mean, it's not been like a disaster of a career, but he hasn't been as good as his draft pick, you know, first round pick. And then you got Manziel who, Probably you know, all of his off the field stuff killed him, and you know Jamarcus Russell. That was a disaster. So sure, okay, like based off of that, Clay's kind of got a point. Like, oh, those guys had good stats, but they didn't pan out in college. But kind of back to some of the stuff you were saying, you look at Daniel Jones's numbers and how bad they are. Don't that doesn't that kind of make you think? Gosh, he couldn't even do this in college. So I'm not even going to think about taking this guy this high in the NFL because what on earth makes you think that these mediocre to bad college stats are going to get better in the NFL. So in that sense, I think determining if a player is going to be really good or determining if a player is going to be mediocre or bad is kind of easy. If the stats aren't there, which in this case, they're not being a very good player in college is a prerequisite for being a good player in the NFL. Actually, you know what? It's a prerequisite for being a player in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's and it's it's certainly a prerequisite for being a great player in the NFL. Daniel Jones, if we're being nice, was a below average college player. I I, I wouldn't say that. I'd say he's an he's an average quarterback. No, he, he wasn't. He just like I'm looking at his numbers. He he was a guy who did not push the ball down the field and he didn't complete a high number of a, a high percentage of passes. Yeah. This guy sucks. <laughs> All right, that the the last thing I have before we get to the, the numbers of those other guys, if we get to it, so you can save your thing, is just another part of his his long rant was that and I'm paraphrasing this too, he says Daniel Jones is not that much different than Mitchell Trubisky, who a lot of Bears fans are happy about now. Now, I coming from a a spot where I'm very familiar with this because I am a Bears fan and I've watched every snap Mitchell Trubisky's ever taken. Granted, I never watched any snaps he took in college. Mitchell Trubisky and Daniel Jones are nothing alike, with the exception of both of them being male and play quarterback in the NFL now. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky, you kind of hinted on a little bit ago, his one year at North Carolina starting 68% completion percentage, almost had uh, 3,800 yards passing, 8.4 yards per attempt. So, I mean, not Kyler Murray and still not even Dwayne Haskins, but at least he pushed the ball down the field a lot more than Daniel Jones did. 30 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio, quarterback rating of 157. And I know Daniel Jones is considered to be a, a, pr- a pretty good athlete, I guess, but Mitchell Trubisky is a really good athlete, actually, for his size. He, and he proved that this past year in, in the NFL where he was able to move around. So they're, they're not anywhere close to each other. And also, I'm not that happy with Mitchell Trubisky because I see other players that have more talent than him that have good coaches and are excelling. Uh, I should probably rephrase that. I, he, he is being elevated by Matt Nagy. Uh, any other quarterback with, with, with like Baker, I've said all the time last year, Baker Mayfield played for the Bears last year. I think the Bears make, the Bears make a run at the Super Bowl because Baker Mayfield would have been even better. Or I mean, Trubisky left so many open throws on the field. He just does not have the football awareness and IQ yet. Hopefully it comes because I want him to do well because it seems like he's the guy. It's just he's just not there. It, he's lucky to have Matt Nagy. If, if Matt Nagy wasn't with the Bears and it was a different coach with, with maybe like 
an average like defensive minded coach Mitchell Trubisky would be nowhere near as good as he was a season ago I mean I know I'm going on a Bears rant right now but Mitchell Trubisky had like the best season statistically for a Bears quarterback ever in 2018 and he still missed so many throws and it was kind of frustrating a lot of the time and granted in the playoffs he did make a couple big throws down the stretch so he's got potential point being he's a lot better than Daniel Jones (laughs) and so comparing the two is asinine in my opinion so that's all I have for that I'll let you get back to your next point that I uh, I'm actually interested in hearing now because you you tease this off air and I, I want to see where this is going okay yeah sure so this is just a little uh this is from a pro football focus article um, that I saw a few weeks ago that I just dug up again uh, as we were talking. So I'm just going to read this one paragraph here. So uh, Daniel Jones started 2018 on fire, Lee, grading at 91.9 in his first three games, good for fourth in the nation. But the rest of the season saw him graded only 73.4, 53rd best in the nation during that time period. It may be easy to point to Jones's collarbone injury as the source of his step back in play, but the 73.4 is certainly more in line with the rest of his career than the 91.9. In fact, it's better than what we saw from Jones in, the first, in his first two years in college. In his three-year career, Jones has a grade of 68, sans those three strong games at the beginning of 2018, a level of production that should raise huge red flags for a potential top pick. Um, and then, and so... It, it kind of begs the question, right? How well did he play in those in those three games? Well, I think, first of all, Pro Football Focus is confused because he got hurt in his third game of the season and didn't throw a pass. Um, and then the third game, he actually did throw a pass, and he was terrible. So I think they might... <laughs> they're kind of confused. But in his first two games of the season, here were you know, his, his stat line. Um, against Army in Week 1, Duke won by 20 points. Daniel Jones was 13 of 17 for 197 yards and a touchdown. So clearly not a guy who was trusted to um, run the offense. I mean, trusted only basically to be a a caretaker of the offense. And then uh, week two, Lee against Northwestern, a game Duke won 21 to 7. He was 16 of 22 for 192 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Good stat line. Um, Obviously, though, not a guy who they are... They're putting. They're not putting everything in his hands. Very clearly, a game manager. I mean, this is yeah. this is, um, and then you, you read other stuff. Uh, how Dave Gettleman has thrown out a ton of stuff to see if it'll stick against the wall. Yeah, and, and trying to, <laughs> and then they, um, and including saying like they made the decision they were going to draft him after seeing him uh, play three series in the Senior Bowl or something like yeah. that. That's yeah. just. This is. Um, <laughs> This is Here's not the quote. This is not that hard. I, Here's I just, the quote from I'm, Dave Gettleman. After the three series I watched, I saw a professional quarterback. So that's when I was in full blown love. A professional quarterback in the AAF. <laughs> oh God. This is like I'm the XFL. I, I, I cannot I cannot tell you. <laughs> like of course as a fan of the NFL, I love this pick. It's so good. This is so great to to for us to be able to dunk on the Giants like this is great for the NFL. Um, this is, as, as, but as someone who likes sports, it's like, it offends me. It's, that offen- that, that, says, it's offensive. It's yeah. offensive that that guy is in a position to make that pick. And I'm talking about Dave Gettleman. Yes. The guy has no idea what the hell he is doing. See, and there's people out there that'll would say, that's ridiculous. You can't say that. He's, gotten to this point in his career he obviously knows what he's doing and you know what 
I, he had to have got here somehow. Like he's he's not he can't be an idiot, right? But the last two drafts, I mean, Grant, and we were talking about this again off air last year in a draft with three quarterbacks. Two, I mean, I mean, you and I think next to Andrew Luck, I mean, the best quarterback prospect in years in Baker Mayfield, and I, I like. I like Darnold a lot more than you do, uh, and then you have Josh Rosen, who is who's very clearly the number three of those those three guys, those three players at quarterback, and a draft full of running backs where Nick Chubb was what a second round pick, and Sony Michelle was a late first round pick, and I'm probably missing out on some guys that were probably drafted in the third or fourth round that were really good this past year in the NFL that I can't think of right now. A, a, a heavy running back draft, Gettleman drafts a running back at number two when he could have drafted Sam Darnold. And then a year later in a draft with very few quarterbacks, really only two, in my opinion, are first round players. And that's Kyler and Dwayne Haskin Haskins. He decides on a quarterback at that time. And it's not even one of the guys that's an obvious, uh, it's one of it's either one or the other. It's a guy that at best is a second round talent where You've made the argument that he might be even be at, no, at worst I, an undrafted he, player. He is an he is an undrafted guy. The only reason he is even he was even being talked as a second or third rounder is because of his freaking height. No, not and, once. And David Cutcliffe. And David Cutcliffe. Not once has anyone talked about his arm strength. He doesn't have much. Not once has, has people talked about his accuracy. He has none. I mean, this <laughs> this guy's bad. It's like it's. This, which is perfect because this is this is like the perfect encapsulation of just sort of like that old guard that's still in the NFL. That's still it's it's crazy, like it. But it's it really it's, it's so fun to follow. Like I'm, it's great. I'm well, whenever you know a lot about it, and you follow it like we do, and people that listen to this podcast for the same exact way, you all follow college football quite a bit, and maybe some of you also that are still listening, you definitely like the NFL a lot too, like like we do. And so, like, you see this, and, and it's it's not that difficult. It really isn't that difficult at all. And yet, he's making it look so incredibly difficult with these draft picks. Uh, I was looking at the numbers of all those other guys that Clay Travis was mentioning, Jamarcus Russell, Akili Smith, Manziel, Tebow, Bortles, Blaine Gabbert, Jake Locker, all those players that were you – know, he's using as examples of guys who were drafted very high but didn't pan out. And I mentioned some of those guys' numbers earlier and they were surprisingly pretty good. I mean, Akili Smith – Grant, 10.1 yards per attempt. I mean, that guy threw the ball down the field uh, in 1998 in his last year. Only completed 58% of his passes, though. Uh, but 32 to 8 touchdown interception ratio. I mean, back in 1998, those are pretty good numbers. I mean, it kind of, like, I, I get it. Like, I don't, they were, I never saw Keely Smith. Yeah. That was still back in the day where it was all about getting the I formation. And if you threw the ball, it was probably going to be a play action and you were going deep. Mm hmm. So, I mean, I kind of, I, I get how. You know, that's a decent argument of like, oh, those guys had good numbers and they didn't pan out. Fine. But then you get down to it, and there's two players that he mentioned that stand out to me that when you combine these two guys, that's essentially what you're getting from Daniel Jones. Blaine Gabbert and Jake Locker. Blaine Gabbert in his last year at Missouri completed 63% of his passes, 6.7 yards per attempt, 16 to 9 touchdown interception ratio, a quarterback rating of 127. Jake Locker. His final year was also in 2010. They're in the same draft. Jake Locker, this is in 2010. Completion percentage, 55% completions, 6.8 yards per attempt, 17 to 9 touchdown interception ratio, a 124 quarterback rating. Grant, I have no idea how Jake Locker and Blaine Gabbert for 
that matter, were first-round draft picks. I totally that forgot. That blows my mind. Uh, I totally forgot that Blaine Gabbert's numbers in college were objectively bad. Totally forgot I, about that. I didn't know they were that bad until I looked it up again. And just I said those numbers. I can go. Just to refresh, Daniel Jones, 60.5% completion percentage, 6.8 yards per attempt, which is essentially right there with Locker and Gabbert, 22-9 touchdown interception, 131 quarterback rating, just slightly better than Gabbert and Locker. I mean, that's I mean, that's your Giants fans. You got the next either Blaine Gabbert or Jake Locker on your roster. Congratulations. Most likely Jake Locker, a guy who totally bombed out of the league and was terrible. Man. Uh, Whereas Blaine Gabbert I mean, he now had a couple, is... He had a couple moments. Locker had a couple moments, and he got injured. I think that's what kind of ended his career. Uh, I think he had concussion issues and things like that. But and not and either, not his and not his general terribleness at playing NFL well, quarterback. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't that good. But he he stayed around a little longer than I thought he would. Uh, just because he was able to, he was kind of mobile, and I mean the Titans were bad, so yeah, they didn't you, have any standards. Man, I bet I bet when Clay Travis brought up Mitchell Trubisky there, he thought he was just making a a huge just great point I know. there. God, I know. Just, it honestly just shows that dude outside of the SEC has literally no idea about college football <laughs> yeah and the thing is i again like not that he's ever going to hear this because i why would he pay attention to this podcast but i i really enjoy clay travis he's really good he's entertaining but weirdly enough a lot of the times when it comes to the sports stuff he's he's not that good <laughs> so like stuff outside of sports is where he, he's really interesting and fun and th- thinks of good analogies and, and good uh, th- ways to present things that sometimes are outside of sports uh, inside sports sometimes it gets it gets kind of dicey but, you know, he's got to know about a bajillion different things, and we only have to know about, really, OU football, the Big 12, college football, and the NFL. Uh, we don't have to talk about the NBA or Major League Baseball in this podcast or all the other stuff that sometimes he has to know about. But uh, uh, anyways, I just I heard that take, and I thought this is perfect to bring back the hot take of the week segment because I just thought like he thought he was being very different. Like, oh, why is everyone bagging on this pick? Like, I'm going to go the other way on this because like, of all these different reasons and every single one of his points is pretty bad is pretty bad. So, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else here. And I've already covered that. Jeez. Are we, right. uh, so geez, are we, are we on to, uh, predicting the depth charts next week? It looks like, well, uh, so I, what I was thinking for next week, we're going to, we're going to take it off again. We're going to be off again. I uh, I think what we should do is take a step back and kind of think of brainstorm some some topics and stuff to uh, make make this podcast better in the off season. And I suppose does, does anyone like I, you guys can uh, reach out to us on Facebook or whatever medium you guys want. Does anyone want to hear depth chart predictions? Like, um, I I mean I know Brett Brett will because I mean I'll I'll, I'll be totally he, honest he with you. I, I love that stuff. I eat that stuff up reading. Uh, but also, you know, I don't know how everyone else feels. So if, uh, if, if it's one of those things where people want us to talk about depth charts, I'm totally down to do so. Um, I think the defensive depth chart, we could definitely get some, some super interesting things because we have no idea. Yeah. And at this point, I remember last year what we did. And again, if you're listening this far into the podcast, you really enjoy the show. We appreciate that. So reach out to us if you have any ideas. I know last year we did depth chart predictions. Actually, we did that pretty early. We actually did that during spring ball, I think. Uh, and then kind of in the summery months, May, June, July, remember we would go over each one of their opponents and kind of gave like early thoughts on how this game will go down and 
what it's going to be like. I think we'd go over like maybe four games per show, and it took us a few shows to get through it all. So that's something that I'm sure we'll do again. And unless everyone out there thinks that's boring, we won't do that. Uh, so I think we should kind of brainstorm, think of some, some topics, things to talk about to make this interesting because we got to do our best to make it as OU related as possible. I think we could easily talk about more NFL and college stuff as a whole, but I'm not so sure how much people really care about that. They want to hear some more direct Oklahoma stuff. So, and I do too. I just, I, well, yeah, uh, this, yeah, the summer's tough. Summer's tough. So at least until, until fall practice starts and then it's just all systems go. Hey, we hey we uh, we didn't talk about them moving the the opener to to Sunday night. Oh, you're right. Wow. And so there's lots of things we haven't talked about. Ron Tatum went into the went to the transfer portal. He's gone. We've isn't never that, mentioned uh, that. Um, uh, that. I thought that came out a long time ago, though. Uh, who else is who? Who left the team? Was it Tyrese Lott who left the team? Oh, really? I don't. I didn't know that. I can't remember. Don't don't quote me on that one, guys. I don't know about any of that stuff. I, uh, again, I don't really go on message boards and really check that stuff. And so I, if that's all on there, then I don't know about it. So that's uh, we'll have to do some research on. But yeah, that the opener, that's that's kind of neat. Hopefully it doesn't mess up anybody's plans for Memorial Day or not Memorial Labor Day. But uh, yeah, Sunday night primetime OU game. Huh. The Sunday game. Yeah, that's uh, that's something. <laughs> I don't know what else to add there. I mean. So far well, I mean, away. it's just it's just cool. I mean that that definitely means uh, that you know. I mean, it's gonna. Oh, it's, it's obviously a night game. It's already been announced as a night game, but that means that uh, they almost assuredly would have been playing at eleven a.m. probably on Saturday. But that is no longer. Yeah, the I think case. that came out. I think that's what came out. They they didn't want to have that eleven a.m. kick. Yeah, yeah, and this is season, great. And so. so they can. And now, I mean, it's the only game that night. So it's national TV. The only game that people can watch. Um, I can confirm that Tyree Slot is no longer with the team. Hmm. Yep, so that was reported um, not just a, a premium message board content. That was reported by Crimson and Cream Machine, SB Nation, uh, a lot of other Twitter posts as well. So Tyree Slot has left the team. That is not great for depth. Well, you know, we'll see. I mean, at this point, every time that something happens with the defense, I just assume that it was basically decided by Alex Grinch because – Somebody's just maybe not fitting in. Yeah, I'm still. So I'm that's still, kind of the, uh, the, the stance I take when it comes to that. I'm still waiting. I still think we're going to see quite a bit of uh, portal people here in the next couple months. <laughs> portal I think. people. No, I, th- I think we will. Uh, this is which which is not uncommon when you're when you're changing regimes on the side of the ball. That's not uncommon mm-hmm. at all. So um, we'll see. I don't know. I, I just I, I think there's just no way we're not going to get some attrition here. All right. Well. Again, no show next week. I was thinking no show the next couple of weeks. So unless unless Grant convinces me otherwise or something else crazy, we need an emergency podcast. I want to tentatively schedule the next episode to come out Wednesday, May 22nd. So Wednesday, May 22nd. And hopefully by then we're going to have uh, some good ideas on what the show will be for you know the, the coming months each and every week. So you guys have some good OU content here and there to tide you over until we get to August and we get fall camp going. So you can stay up to date with the show, all the news on the show, by liking the West of Evers Facebook page. And if you follow Grant and I on Twitter, you can follow some updates to the stuff there, although we post most of it to the Facebook page. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.